an important food, a healthy food, and a basic food that can be served in more than a hundred different ways. Hello and welcome to the Fat for Weight Loss Show. My name is Aaron and I am your host for today's episode. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, let me introduce myself. Firstly, I am from Australia, if you hadn't already guessed from the accent, and I run a ketogenic food blog called Fat for Weight Loss, found at fatforweightloss.com.au. And the aim of this podcast is to dig into the world of nutrition, fitness, and everything in between. I'm a nutritional therapist and an advanced sports exercise nutritional advisor. However, I'm not a doctor, so I cannot give you any medical advice. This also applies to any guests involved in this show. Please make sure you consult your doctor before making any changes to your diet or medication. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Fat for Weight Loss for delicious keto recipes, meal plan videos, and drool-worthy food photography. So let's get right into it. In this episode, it is my pleasure to interview Vanessa Spina. Vanessa is the author of her current best-selling Keto Essentials and is an avid and passionate international speaker about the ketogenic diet and the founder of Ketogenic Girl. When she started what she thought was a proper ketogenic diet, she began to strangely gain weight. She started first on her own and then was following ketogenic meal plans from a source she had trusted, so gaining weight was the last thing she expected to happen. She knew something was off, clothes were somehow all shrinking simultaneously, and it was what she thought was a good ketogenic diet, so she didn't expect to be gaining weight. Since then, she has refined the process of the ketogenic diet, how it works not only for her, but also the people who join the 28-day ketogenic girl challenge in this interview we talk about how she transitioned from finance into the world of health and nutrition how much work it takes to create a cookbook including 12 iterations of a particular recipe how a certain food group may be the reason why your weight loss is stalling and the things she has learned since 2004 about the ketogenic diet This episode was so easy because Vanessa is such a great speaker and she also has her own podcast called Fast Keto. But make sure you stick around to the end where she gives you some really handy tips on how to make sure your ketogenic journey is sustainable. So please welcome Vanessa. Vanessa, how are you doing today? Hi, Erin. I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing really, really well. You know, um, it's uh, I'm here in Australia and I believe you're in Czech at the moment, um, but I could be wrong. Uh, but, you know, we're, uh, I love doing these sort of podcasts where you can uh, talk to someone across the other side of the world. And the greatest thing about this podcast in particular is that you also have your po- your own podcast. And so it's great to talk to someone who has already done their own podcast, already has the mic set up, and it just sounds fantastic. So I'm really, really excited to be here. That's awesome. Yeah. I was telling you, I always get really excited when I'm interviewing another podcaster because you can just hear right away like that crisp sound quality coming from the fact that they've got like their own studio and mic set up and everything. And you just know that sound quality is going to be that much uh that that great for listeners yeah yeah i totally agree i didn't even realize when you came on because usually you know when the when the mic switches on it's like and you go oh they're here (laughs) (laughs) but none of that perfect crisp crisp sound um and so you know i I really like starting off these podcasts with 
Uh, I guess it's sort of like a little bit of an icebreaker. Now, I don't know whether we really need an icebreaker because I've got your cookbook sitting here and I've been a big fan for a long time. So um, I, I, I hope I have lots of, you know, great questions for you. But um, I like to start off these podcasts with like a little personal story. And, uh, and so can you tell us and, uh, well, me and the listeners uh, about how you moved to Prague and, you know, maybe uh, some of the things that came along with that. Yeah, I think we moved to Prague about three years ago, and I grew up moving all around the world. So we lived mostly in China, in Beijing, and we lived in the Philippines, and we moved every few years. And I got used to having to bring all of this stuff every time we moved. You know, when we moved to China, especially in the 90s, there was nothing there for foreigners. So we used to go to, you know, in Canada, we call it Costco, you know, the big box stores. And we would get, you know, cases of ketchup and things that, you know, you take for granted back home that you just can't get when you're over there. So I got into this mindset of always having to bring all of these things, knowing that you wouldn't have them. And so I figured that, you know, Prague from visiting, we visited quite a bit, you know, before we moved here, we kind of did three weeks a couple times a year. And then the last time we did a month and we wanted to see, could we make it, you know, work for us long-term. And as we were, packing and preparing, I started to panic and think they're just not going to have keto things there. Like I just have a feeling they're not going to have, for example, keto sweeteners. What am I going to do at the time I was eating a lot of products with erythritol or swerve or, you know, stevia or stevia, some people call it. And so I decided I'm just going to bring all this stuff in case. And then, you know, if I need more, I'll get more when I go back or I'll have my family ship me some or something. So I had one suitcase that we only took two suitcases with us. We sold all of our things. We each took two suitcases and half of one of my suitcases was filled with bags of erythritol and stevia. So I had bags of white powder and little containers of white pills, just an entire suitcase full. And I was like, if any border agent opens this, they are going to have a field day with me. And I was like, you know what? I'll just risk it and see. I mean, We'll see how it goes. And they didn't even open my suitcase. So I managed to bring in all of this erythritol and, you know, stevia tabs and things. And then, of course, once we got here, realized that they have it here as well. So I didn't even really need to bring (laughs) as much as I did. Uh, But it must have been a pretty funny, you know, scene just if anyone had opened that up, they would have been quite uh, quite shocked. Uh, it's so funny, isn't it? You know, because it's it, it, it's literally like a bag of white granular, uh, <laughs> right. like crystallized or powder right. or, you know, like little tablets and you go, all right, come on, what is this? And you're like, no, it's natural, I swear. And, exactly. Uh, I, I, uh, I've had um, packages shipped to me from uh, the So Nourished, so uh, Vicky and Rami from Tasteaholics. Uh, they, they've sent me stuff from the States. And when it comes here, it comes with a little note from the Australian government saying, <laughs> we've opened your package for you and we've just checked that it's not drugs. <laughs> so, I know Australia is really has a history kind of being strict with imports, right? Like especially food and agriculture. Yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty strict with it. Um, and they're especially strict with it going into Indonesia as well. 
um, just because of the laws there. But yeah, it's it's not 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 a great place to bring in uh, <laughs> erythritol and stevia if you're thinking about coming to Australia. We've got plenty here. <laughs> uh, so right. <laughs> no, to bring oh that's so awesome uh that that story makes me uh make me makes me so happy because I, I get so many packages that do get opened by the australian government for me which is <laughs> nice of them but i guess <laughs> <laughs> um so you said you uh you know you moved from canada into to prague um you know maybe tell us a little bit about you and sort of um what what you did when you were living in Canada and then maybe what you're doing now when you're living in Prague and uh, maybe some of the stuff that people may not know about you that, you know, you, you're, you've been following the ketogenic diet for a while now and, uh, and the founder of Ketogenic Girl. Um, but, you know, maybe elaborate on that a little bit for me. Sure. I, I guess one thing that people may not know about me so much is that I used to work in finance and I had my Canadian securities license to be a broker. And that's what I did coming right out of school. I worked in the finance industry and I really loved finance. I found it fascinating, but I mostly wanted to learn about business because I had always had entrepreneurial aspirations from when I was a little girl. I always had a lemonade stand. Uh, my brother and I would do a lemonade stand, Kool-Aid stand. And then later on, I had a jewelry stand that I would sell earrings and bracelets. And I even had like little bags with the logo on them. And I just always dreamed of selling things and selling products. And my favorite thing to do as a kid was to play store. And I would take everything out of the cupboards in my parents' kitchen, put it all out on the table, and then make their dinner party guests come to my store and purchase canned goods from my store <laughs> with Monopoly money. So I really had such a strong urge to have products and sell them and run a business. And I wanted to learn as much as I could as fast as possible. So I went and worked in finance. I studied publicly traded companies that were established in Vancouver, BC. And I studied how they worked and I studied their balance sheets and I worked at a firm that did valuations on their stock price. So we would learn really what was fundamentally valuable about a business and what made a stock more valuable than another. And I was fascinated by it. So I learned so much about business. I loved Warren Buffett. I loved studying him and he's a fundamental value investor. And that was my whole life and my whole world. And I knew at some point I would do a business. I tried and launched several online businesses kind of softly, not like in a big dramatic way, but in kind of a low risk, low profile way. And none of them really failed or worked out because I really didn't have the passion and drive and love for them. So it wasn't until I failed many, many times at doing an online business. And then I also found keto and I was able to combine everything I learned from failing at business with keto together that was where my passion and heart was that I was able to combine the two and have a successful business. And it's been incredible to be able to then get so busy that I had to quit what I was doing before working in finance. I was actually 
towards the end, I was interviewing experts in the financial field. So I was doing very similar to what I get to do with my podcast, interviewing people and asking them experts what they knew about business to learn about it. So it's kind of cool that I get to do that now with podcasting and just how the two came together was through just a lot of hard work, uh, a lot of passion and a lot of failure (laughs) and learning from failure. Oh, that's so interesting. I, I had no idea that you came from such a, uh, like a financial and business background. Um, and that it's really awesome to see the entrepreneur passion, you know, uh, shine through because a lot of the stuff you do, um, comes with a lot of, uh, genuine, like, you know, a, a very genuine feeling. So, um, I, I guess like uh, my first question would be is like, what, what were some of the failures that you learned from the other businesses that you sort of brought to, uh, what you do now and, um, and sort of turn them into a success? Yeah. So I think there, I love talking about this topic, especially cause I love just exploring different business models. So much of what I got to learn was actually from watching other companies fail because at the firm I was at, we would value and we would watch companies, you know, try to raise capital and we would see the ones that would be successful. What, what was the difference between the companies that would be successful? They were looking usually for commodities like gold or silver or copper. Uh, a lot of times in Latin America or, you know, Australia or Canada, and they had to put together a business. They had to raise capital. They had to go and find resources. I learned so much from seeing the companies that thrived and the ones that didn't. And from that, I also applied that in my own life. And a lot of the failures that I made, I think the number one was just trying to do businesses in areas that I wasn't fundamentally that interested in. So one of the businesses I was going to do was a online business selling an ebook and product that uh, explained to people how to invest in mining companies. So I had a, no- a lot of knowledge about it, but it wasn't something that like stoked my fire or passion. So I would start working on it and then, you know, I would tell like my husband about it. I would tell my parents about it. Like I'm doing this new business and they were also supportive. And then like a few months later, I just stopped working on it because I just didn't have the interest, you know, like I'm a great at starting things. But, and I know that about myself, but in order to really succeed, it has to be something that you're going to do long-term and that you enjoy doing long-term. And so finding something that's also your hobby is huge. For me with Ketogenic Girl, I knew two things. I wanted to start a business that was as low risk as possible. So something I could do while I was still doing my current day job. So I still had income coming in and then also doing something that I really loved. So I love the keto space so much that I was getting up around 4 a.m. every day before work and I was just going on Instagram and I was looking up keto recipes and posts and I was posting and sharing things for a few hours before work every day. And then when I would have any breaks during the day, I would also be doing that. And then I get home, I would do that as well. So I loved it. You know, I love doing that stuff. And so it became very easy to spend a lot of time on it because I enjoyed it so much just doing it without any incentive or financial incentive at all. It's something I would do today if I didn't make any money at all from it, I would still be doing it. So that that was like a really big core lesson. It has to be something that you love and you're willing to do whether or not you're being 
compensated it anyway. And, you know, one of the most important questions I think entrepreneurs can ask themselves is if I was a billionaire tomorrow, someone gave me all the money in the world, what would I spend my time doing? You know, and how would I spend my time if I didn't have to earn any income? And that can really tell you a lot about, you know, what you might like to build as a dream business. Oh, that's so inspiring <laughs> and so interesting uh-huh. at the same time. And and uh, I really like what you were saying there about, uh, you know, having longevity and having something very sustainable. Um, and, you know, yeah, you can jump around to those different projects, but ultimately you need something that is, uh, is, is relatively stable and something that you really enjoy because otherwise you won't put so much time and effort into it. And I guess like, uh, you know, maybe that was part of the motivation for you for starting the ketogenic diet. But was there any other motivation for you, you know, from the start when you uh, when you started the the ketogenic diet, and were you after anything in particular when you did that? For me, it was definitely weight loss. For a long time, I had struggled with having excess weight that I wanted to lose, and I also had a lot of subpar health. I had chronic inflammation from some autoimmune issues and I was always really tired and I never had like the energy or vitality that I wanted. I remember just knowing that there was greater health available for me and I just needed to figure out what it was. And so I spent a lot of time just trying to understand what's the optimal health I took nutrition as my electives when I was in university and I I read a lot of health and nutrition books in my spare time. And when I started getting into keto, there was this weird thing about it where it was the opposite of everything I had tried up until now that I was like, well, if I've tried everything and nothing's worked, then maybe doing something totally insane and opposite to everything I've ever tried until now will work. So there was something about that turning the thinking on its head completely that really intrigued me. And I wanted a primary driver for me was just optimizing my health. I'm an optimizer, maximizer type personality. So I was like, I want to just live my life as healthy as possible. I want to lose excess weight. And my primary motivation for dealing with pain and energy is I really had a dream of having a family and starting a family. And for a long time, I became depressed because I didn't understand how I was ever going to be able to do that because I had really low energy and I had a lot of pain in my body all the time. So if I was in the kitchen cooking for a while, after a while, I'd get really bad back pain. And it was just from standing for so long. And I was like, how am I ever going to be a mom if I can't even stand in the kitchen and make dinner without having back pain? How am I going to run after kids and take them to the park and do all these things I want to do with them and be the best mom I can be if I'm riddled with pain? I have headaches all the time, you know, and I also don't feel comfortable in my skin and my body. How am I going to take them to the beach? How am I going to take them, you know, outside to do things. So it's still a dream of mine and my husband's to start a family, but I think that was probably one of the biggest driving motivators for me to finding keto. Wow, yeah. It's um it's really interesting hearing people's story because 
I guess for a lot of people, they start a ketogenic diet or a low-carb diet uh, with, with weight loss in mind. But uh, as soon as they find out the benefits outside of that, it quickly starts to fade away into becoming, you know, uh, finding that optimum health or, you know, that max, maximizing what you can do with your life, as you were saying before. Um, and, and so did you have any, as you were saying, um, you know, like you learned a little bit about nutrition at, at uni and then you started to learn more and more and more. And then the ketogenic diet was sort of the flip on that. Was there any, um, I guess, was there any sort of backlash, I guess, when you started saying to other people that I'm going to do the ketogenic diet? Because for me, like when I started the ketogenic diet, people around me were like, ah, oh, that's not going to work. Ah, uh, you know, um, isn't fat bad for you? Those types of things. Was it hard to sort of convince yourself that you're doing the right thing, or did you uh, have any some uh, you know some sort of external factor that was saying yes, this is actually working for you? You know, it's funny. A lot of people talk about that and getting backlash from people. I just always was doing weird things most of my life. Like I was living in China and I was always trying different things, and I, people were just used to me always doing weird things all the time, uh, little like self-experiments and things. So no one ever really gave me much uh, backlash. I think that the only times I did have some comments were from uh, my mom was like, you know, a little concerned about cholesterol. And she's like, how can you eat all those avocados? How can you eat all of that like heavy cream and stuff? Aren't you worried about cholesterol? And at the beginning, it was a bit difficult because I didn't really fully understand it myself. So I'd be like, well, no, I'm not that worried, you know, because I'm getting all these other health benefits. But it just drove me to educate myself so that, you know, when people do question it, most of the questioning I actually got was not in my life. It was online from posting stuff about it and people always having those questions, like alarming questions. So even on the ketogenic girl Facebook page, people ask the same questions like about cholesterol and all these things and saying, well, this is so crazy. How can you do this? It's weird because people would follow the page and then they would be like, especially on Facebook, not as much on Instagram. People understand keto more, but especially at the beginning, people would find it because maybe they were looking for weight loss or something. And then they would be like, well, how can you eat this meal? Like there's so much cream and butter and all this stuff. So I really needed to understand how to explain it in a way that was very succinct and very quick. So to me, keto is a diet that's comprised of whole foods, single ingredient foods, where you're replacing sugar and refined and processed food-like products with real food. And to me, that's what keto really is. You can do it in lots of different ways. But when you look at it from that perspective, which I have found it to be very valid from doing it for all these years, that's what it really is fundamentally. No one can argue with that. No one can argue with how good it is for you to have actual natural whole foods and get rid of sugar and eliminate processed foods. You know, that everyone can agree on that. We can all agree that sugar is bad for you. You know, we can all agree on all the, you know, the fact that whole foods are good for you and that these processed foods are not. So that's where we can find common ground. Yeah, that's interesting, you know, because um, 
a lot of people do say that they have interesting times on Facebook, uh, and um, and I've I've sort of found it to be not too bad. But I, I understand what you're saying there with um, you know with people who are starting out on the ketogenic diet or maybe starting up a weight loss. Uh, and and I always recommend to people that you know you need to do the 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 first few things to get your you know your diet sorted and your your life sorted to a point where you can actually start doing this. But then you actually need to read into the science for yourself. Um, because uh, inevitably, there's going to be a question where y- your friends ask you what you're doing, and um, and you you sort of um, I guess like doing the research just really backs it up for yourself. Uh, so it's it's so great that you you were saying that uh, the whole foods is is such a great approach because when you start the ketogenic diet, yes, there's there's all those substitutions, there's the the breads and the desserts and all those types of things, and you can still have those to up to a certain point, but the whole foods is uh, is where the real um, nutrition and where all the uh, all the benefits to all these types of foods are uh, so I totally agree with you on that one and um, you know some of those substitutions can can get a little bit uh, overboard at some times but you know going back to that whole food approach is is something that is uh, yeah very very strong um, and so uh, you know talking about whole foods I have your uh, keto essentials cookbook sitting right next to me and there are so many delicious recipes in this book. Um, what was what was the inspiration behind creating this book in particular? And um, and were there any recipes that were, I guess, maybe particularly hard to create? Oh man, yeah, the keto bread, keto bread loaf. I remember was the most frustrating. I think I did twelve iterations of it. And I needed to have some kind of keto bread for people in there because it, it is really important, I think, when you're making the transition to have substitutions, especially for the foods that we are used to, you know, especially keto breads, especially keto treats and desserts. Over time, you might find like many people that you don't need to use those anymore. You don't rely on them as much because you'd rather eat a s- bigger steak than say a smaller piece of meat with a piece of bread, you know, keto bread that tends to happen. And I see that a lot, but I needed to have a few of those things in the cookbook. I just remember making the bread loaves over and over again and taking them out of the oven and then them falling apart and just being like, that was a whole day and so many ingredients, you know? So, and I know you do some keto baking and recipes yourself. So, you know, just how frustrating it is when you try something and it doesn't work out. But I did eventually get a loaf that worked relatively well and fit for the book. So I was, you know, happy to get it done and then just move back on to recipes I prefer making, which for me are kind of more comfort foods and things that especially from growing up in Asia, like keto pod thai, lemon chicken, a lot of the things that I love to eat at restaurants or you know, foods that I just grew up and love, even keto mac and cheese, keto poutine. I don't know if you know what poutine is. It's a Canadian, very Canadian dish with French fries and bacon and gravy. And I made a keto version of it. And so there's there's all these recipes in there that I had so much fun creating. I had a lot of support from my publishers in kind of creating whatever I wanted to. So I felt really good about that. But when I first started speaking with them, I wanted to create a guide on the keto diet 
and they wanted me to do a cookbook. So we kind of met in the middle. And what's really neat about that is a lot of people get the book and they're expecting just a cookbook and they end up having a cookbook with a lot of front matter that explains a lot about the ketogenic diet that they maybe weren't expecting. And so it it really adds another layer to the book that I love that I got to share what I'm really passionate about, which is the information behind the diet, how to make it work effectively for you, and then have all these recipes so that people can just get over information overwhelm and just get started and get into it. Yeah, that's that's so good, you know, because um, uh, I do I do see a lot of cookbooks that are, you know, just cookbooks uh, and then there's, um, you know, sort of like if you were to get the information, you might look to something like an audio book, but having both of them together is actually really handy because it's like an all-in-one one-stop shop sort of book and uh, and I and I do I do remember flipping through going um, you know there are a lot of Asian dishes in here and here in Australia we have so much influence from you know Thai food to Indian food to Chinese food to all different sorts of Asian foods um, and it's something that uh, America in particular I don't think really uh, utilizes too much um, they have a lot more of an, a, a Mexican influence, but I'm not sure what it's like in Canada either, but uh, it was really, really nice to see a lot of those uh, different styles of, of dishes in the recipe book. So, um, yeah, congratulations on doing that because it's something that, you know, not a lot of people have done. And, uh, and yeah, it's. Uh, I remember talking to one of the other Australian food bloggers, um, Rachel Hurd, she was saying that, uh, you know, being in Australia, we do have all of these Asian influences. And so, um, you know, I guess that's sort of a little bit of a, a thing that we like to do, you know, uh, you know, adapt those types of things. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the recipes in there are, are, are just so fantastic. Um, but, you know, I do, um, I do know that you, uh, have started a, a, a challenge. And um, I don't know whether the, the 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 cookbook sort of ties into the the challenge, but it's but it's called the twenty eight day ketogenic girl challenge. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, and um, and whether the cookbook and the recipes in there sort of tie in with that as well? Absolutely, I'd I'd love to talk about that. That's what I do primarily every day. So what occupies most of my time is running the challenge and I've been running it for over two years and I had created initially meal plans based on requests from people. There were so many people asking me for how to do keto and it went from getting a few questions an hour to getting hundreds of questions an hour and people were just, you know, uh, wanting to know how to do keto and how to get started. And I always say the internet is so amazing because there's so much access to information. None of us would probably have found keto without it, but there's also so much information and so many different differing opinions that it can lead to information overwhelm. So as I created meal plans based on people's requests, wanting to know how I ate. Everyone was like, how do you eat? What do you eat? So it's like, I'm just going to replicate exactly what I eat. But not only that, I'm going to design it so that every single recipe in the book, I've tested on myself to see and make sure that it generates ketosis for me. And knowing that I was very insulin resistant, 
that if it would work that way for me, that it would probably work for a lot of people. And it turns out that that's the case and that you don't necessarily have to individualize everything because I'm not a nutritionist. I'm a food blogger. So I just wanted to create a way for people to just get over the information overwhelm and like get in the kitchen, start cooking and try it out for yourself. As long as you've of course spoken with your doctor and your care providers and made sure that it's something that's not contraindicated for you. If you have any health conditions or you're on any kind of medication, make sure that you have your doctor's approval to start a ketogenic diet and it's something that you want to do and it's not going to have any issues for you, then you can just get on it and get started. And that by people doing a challenge, it's something that's attainable. They can do it for 28 days and they can also just see that it's not that weird, (laughs) that they're really just eating normal plates of food, you know, And they can see that it's something that's very sustainable. It's something that they can have compliance to. And anything that's going to really work for you and give you long-term results has to be something you can do for life. And that's really why I believe most diets don't work. It's just it's always approach with a temporary mindset, whereas this is a long-term lifestyle. And anything that you're going to do has to be something, if you're going to get results, Once you get the results, you have to be able to maintain them as well. So the challenge provides that, but it also gives people support and community. So that was the biggest thing that I found is that people can go online and they can buy a meal plan or they can get even my cookbook. But then when they have a question, where do they go? Where is that support? So with the challenge, I have my support that comes with it as well. So people can post questions. I have a Facebook coaching group and they post questions and say, you know, where can I get this product or what does this, you know, blood glucose reading mean or these things. And I can provide some feedback based on my experience, but not only that, we have this whole community of people who have been through the challenge, maybe they've been in the group now for a couple of years and they're able to support and say, well, I'm in Australia and I found this particular product, this store, you know, so there's this community of people helping each other. And that's been the most beautiful thing that's really come out of the challenge is just creating that community of everyone supporting each other, helping each other and sharing what they've learned with each other. So it's not just about me. It's about that whole greater community that, you know, we've been able to create. Mm, yeah. And and commu- and with community comes a, a sense of commitment as well. Um, and I mm. think something that a, a lot of people probably miss on uh, on just buying a, a meal plan and, and trying to do it themselves is that they don't really have anyone holding them accountable and they don't have anyone, um, you know, sort of like guiding them through. So, I get yeah, a community is is uh, is so great for that. Um, and so, what are some of the things that people come into the the challenge? What what are the some of the common things that people are doing that might be halting their progress or maybe um, you know pushing them in the wrong direction? Oh, I'd love to answer that question. I think one of the the two biggest things that I see is people doing it with tons and tons of dairy, high fat dairy, which is. It's a mistake that I made at the beginning too. I just thought if I just eat cream cheese and, you know, high fat dairy that I'll be in ketosis and I was, 
but I wasn't losing weight when I was doing that. So the dairy thing is really a major factor. My program is all dairy free and it's really something that people can try for themselves. And it's a huge misconception and people come in and they're like, why is it dairy free? I thought keto was big on the dairy. It doesn't have to be, you know, and there's other ways of Dairy is a great way to get in like your macros if you're trying to hit that 80, 15, 5 or 75, 25 or 20. If you're trying to hit high fat, it's a really easy way to make sure that you hit high fat levels. But it can cause a lot of issues for a lot of people and it can just make them go over certain numbers or thresholds and it just over... I find complicates things as well. It's easier to do things without dairy. So that that's a big thing. The other thing is lack of testing. And I totally get that because a lot of people don't have time, you know, to do the testing. Like my husband, and I don't have kids yet. I have time to do things like test different ratios on myself. A lot of people are extremely busy. They're running, you know, households. They have children, they have busy jobs, like they just don't have time to like try this and then test themselves or, you know, they, they don't have that ability. So one thing that the program provides is something that is kind of tried and tested, and then we can make tweaks depending on the person. We're all very different. We all have different health, you know, uh, histories. We all have different activity levels, different jobs, lifestyles, all these things. So the plan gives you a starting place where you don't have to test yourself in order to probably get into ketosis. I see it with most people on the program, but then you can make tweaks after that. And then if you later on want to start testing or get into it because you suddenly have more time or it's something that you want to make time for, then you can add that in later. So there's all these different layers and I find you hear it a lot. People say, you know, that they're struggling and they're not getting the results that they want, but then it turns out when they test themselves, oh, they're not actually in nutritional ketosis. So the testing can really help with that and provide that feedback along the way. Yeah, that's it. It is important to test, um, and and you know, obviously doing what what is uh, possible with your time frame. Um, but uh, yeah, it's interesting that you say that uh, you eliminate dairy because uh, I know a lot of other programs uh, who you know they they also eliminate dairy, and I I have just recently eliminated dairy from my diet, and I I was training for a marathon, um, and I got uh-huh. to the end of it, and and for me. Uh, I, I ended up with a higher body fat percentage than when I started out with, um, and that's that's just crazy, you know. Because if you're if you're running <laughs> 42 kilometers or 26 miles, you know, you think you would burn up a lot of that. Um, but so yeah, eliminating dairy is going to be a big factor for me, um, and and I think a lot of other athletes should probably look into uh, eliminating dairy, even if you think you don't have a problem with lactose. Generally, the inflammation is, is enough to build up over time where you're not recovering properly, um, and you know. Right. For for most people, it, it it can be okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're trying to optimize and maximize your health, then then definitely trying to eliminate 
uh, those full fat dairy options is is a great thing. But if someone is sitting at home and they and they do have a a ketone monitor or something that can test blood glucose, what what is the um you know the best time of day or what do you think uh, you should be doing when you are testing? Is it something that you should be doing at the same time every day, or is there a particular time of day that is the optimal place to test ketones or test blood glucose? Sure. I, I want to answer that. I just want to quickly go back to your running. I'm not surprised actually that your body fat percentage went up because a lot of the times when we're running a lot, the body thinks that you're running from a predator and it shuts down fat burning. So excess running can sometimes do that in the body as well through having raised cortisol levels and all these things. And I know uh, you're not asking for my feedback on that, but I just want to mention it that I do see that, you know, exercise is one of the things that I also see people, you know, with keto, you need to do different kinds of exercise. And sometimes running a lot can signal to the body to hold on to fat. So I'm curious if that might be the case as well. But that's just my biohacking like mindset that I want to, you know, see what it would be like for you to try dairy or keep doing it without dairy, but keep doing dairy and not be running and see what it would do as well. It's just my, my mindset, but yeah, but uh, back to testing. Uh, I usually suggest only testing once a day and that's fasted in the morning because that really gives you an indicator of how you did the day before. There's also postprandial testing. So I recommend usually people test in the morning fasted before they shower, or do any activity or before they have any coffee or anything to eat and before they shower, because sometimes for some people, even showering, it can be a form of exercise. So it's best to do it before anything. You kind of wake up and, uh, and then within about 15 minutes or so to test. I recommend testing blood glucose, blood glucose ideally every day and ketones. You don't need to test them so much, maybe once a week, every other week, because as long as your blood glucose is in a good range, you will probably be in ketosis. You don't need to be necessarily testing ketones every day. So I usually recommend just focus on your blood glucose levels as much as possible. And that will usually tell you if you're being fueled primarily from glucose or you're being primarily fueled from fat. Uh, there's also postprandial testing, which I think is good for people when they're testing and trying different things. So I've been doing a carnivore trial for 30 days. And so I'm eating differently than I usually do. And I'm testing 30, 60, and 90 minutes after meals to see what happens to my blood glucose and then kind of noticing certain trends and things. And then when I'm done the trial, which is in about nine days, I'm going to be doing reintroductions of one different food per week to test it on my body. And I'm also going to be doing the postprandial testing. So I want to see and learn how my specific body responds to all these different foods. So those are two ways that you can really kind of biohack and learn so much about your body with testing. Oh, that's so interesting, you know, um, and doing those different uh, tests at a particular 
point in your day uh, would would definitely give you more consistent results as well. Um, is it, you know, you were talking a little bit about how you were doing a 30-day carnivore diet, but um, how has uh, your diet changed from when you started the 28-day uh, ketogenic girl challenge two years ago up until now? Is there, is there, has there been any fundamental shifts for you that has really helped you move in the right direction? Yeah. So there's been two big things. The first thing when I started keto, which was in 2004. So when I first started that at the beginning, I was doing a lot of, like I mentioned, high fat dairy and a lot of cream cheese and a lot of sweeteners. I quit all sweeteners just over a year ago because for me, they were perpetuating cravings for me. And I felt that I was very dependent on them. Like, as you can tell from my story at the beginning, I didn't think I could move to Prague without bringing them with me. And, you know, I found it difficult to go to, you know, social events or things without bringing like stevia tabs with me to put in my coffee or like make a lemonade or something. I just didn't like having that dependency. So I tried going for a week without them and I enjoyed it so much that I, it's been over a year now. And now my taste buds have resensitized to sweetness in everything. I had grilled vegetables when we were in Croatia last month that tasted, the eggplant tasted as sweet as a banana to me. And I, I almost was like, did they put something in this? And I, I'm often asking, you know, my husband, he'll test things for me sometimes first. Like he'll take a bite of the whipped cream to see if it's got sugar in it. Cause then check, they make it a lot without any sweeteners. And I, I often question now if there's things being, you know, added to food because everything tastes sweet to me. And also I can detect if there's anything in food, like, you know, sometimes they'll put at restaurants, they'll put sweeteners in things like scrambled eggs. And before I wouldn't have noticed. And now I can detect right away because I'm so hyper sensitive to sweetness. So I, I've loved going off of sweeteners and just really eating whole foods. And also I have to say at the beginning, it's a very natural and normal reaction to want to replace the, the foods that you're used to having. So doing mug cakes and cupcakes and breads, cloud bread, all those things. I got so excited about making those kinds of foods. And especially I made this one keto bread that I had a bit of like grass fed butter on with sea salt and it tasted amazing. And I really loved that I could have those things, a keto version of them, but now I just prefer really nutrient-dense foods so much. So my keto at the beginning had a lot of high-fat dairy, had a lot of bread substitutes and carb substitutes, and had a lot of sweeteners. And now it looks very much just like meat with vegetables, <laughs> uh, meat and salads and savory foods. And if I want a treat, it usually is 100% dark chocolate, which tastes sweet to me. Uh, it really depends on the brands. There are some that just will taste like cardboard always, but if you find the right ones for you, they do taste sweet. And you can also add vanilla uh, and cinnamon to make them sweet. And heavy cream tastes sweet to me now. And cheese as a dessert is a really nice, like that's how the French do it. They usually have a lot of cheese for dessert and it's a nice savory way of ending a meal where 
you know, you have a little treat at the end because we're so used to that. Yeah, it, it, it becomes a, a habit for most people to have uh, dessert after a meal. Um, and yes. uh, and it's something that maybe something uh, people have grown up with or it's a very hard habit for most people to kick. So those things are, uh, as you said before, you know, those artificial, well, I mean, you know, any sort of the keto sweeteners um, uh, are good as a transition, but you eventually want to, you know, wean them out. And the same thing with the keto breads. And, um, you know, uh, some people may have, um, and this is something that I found out recently, but some people may have a, a high in- intolerance to things like salicylates that are v- very concentrated in things like almonds and coconut. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, there's, there's a whole range of different things that if you start having a lot of keto bread, it's a big concentration of um, of almonds, right? And so you have one slice of that, and it could be <laughs> twenty almonds in there, uh, and and you're not usually used to having those. So even that switch from uh, a, a high carb diet into a, a high almond diet almost um, can be can rock the boat a little bit too. So I definitely um, agree with you there on uh, ultimately making your goal just being those really high uh, quality foods that are relatively simple but um, your your taste buds morph and and start enjoying those types of foods so much more uh, when you cut out all of the excess nonsense and the noise that that sort of those other foods can have um, but you know uh, I mean like well, it, it's it's so good uh, talking about food and and talking about these uh, the the meal plans and things. But you know, I've I've seen you being a speaker on uh, many of the recent low carb events, and uh, and and you've also got your own podcast as well, Fast Keto. Um, and so, what what have you learned from uh, presenting to people in particular? What have you learned from going uh, across the globe and, and talking to people about the ketogenic diet? Is there anything that sort of like um, you've learned along the way that you may not have just being behind, you know, behind the scenes a little bit? I think speaking has really enabled me to share my passion and connect that back to this vision that I have of a world that is free of modern diseases that are preventable or potentially preventable or potentially reversible from real whole foods nutrition. And that's what I love getting up on stage and talking about. I love explaining to people, you know, how they can get into nutritional ketosis if it's not working for them. But the biggest thing is going back to the fact that we have the keys in our hands of potential to create a world where so many people can avoid getting certain conditions that they're predisposed to, all these conditions where it's a failure potentially of the brain or body to function fully from taking up glucose. You know, we have these neurodegenerative disorders. We have all these different conditions that we don't have to face as an inevitable part of life that it, we're not all going to die from modern disease. It's possible. I've ha- I've had personally in my life way too many family members leave us too soon because of conditions that I'm not saying were caused by poor nutrition, but may have been delayed, may have been had had some of their suffering alleviated if you know we had different guidelines for having proper whole foods nutrition. And I think the policy change needs to happen. And I think that by going out and speaking as much as we can, and by spreading 
the information to people as much as we can, that we can influence change at the policy level where, you know, we may be able to live in a world where not as many people suffer through some of these conditions that really rob people of their dignity. And it's such a simple solution, you know, to embrace whole foods, nutrition, and it's difficult for people to make changes. You know, we have so much of our culture and social life and everything tied into our diet. For me, that's really been the biggest thing is just, I love getting on stage and talking about, you know, let's spread the word about this because proper nutrition is accessible to anyone and democratizing health is possible. We can do it. We can spread the information and we can get healthy in simple ways. We can incorporate more healthy fats into our diet. We can avoid vegetable oils and and sugar and inflammation. And we can we can make a difference through sharing and spreading the knowledge. And so I just love that I even have the opportunity, you know, to be invited to events to speak about what I'm passionate about and have this platform. And uh, it's, it's amazing to be invited and to be able to do that. And I, I feel so blessed that I'm able to do that. Mm. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I did a podcast a few weeks ago with, um, Liz Williams. I don't know whether you've spoken to her on Instagram. Maybe she's at the, the fit trainer's wife and she, um, brought something to my attention and something that you highlighted in your response just before. And you were saying that change is so important. And she was saying, um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's great to be able to do all the, all of these things, uh, for the ketogenic community and, and, in in life really. But, um, we really need to be pushing for change um, because yeah. that that is such a, a driving force into uh, what what is the future. Um, so yeah, it's it's so great to hear that you're also um, you know very very behind uh, changing the way that we not only look at nutrition but uh, look at the way we um, fight diseases and look at the way that we can manipulate uh, our own health by just using whole foods. Um, so and and yeah, as as you said before, democratizing the 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 food that we eat. I think a lot of the misconception that people have is that uh, a ketogenic or a low carb diet can be quite expensive, and 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 you know on the flip side, um, if you don't have to have uh, uh, there's a there's a documentary that was released on Netflix by um, a, a chef here in Australia, Pete Evans, um, and another guy as well called The Magic Pill. And it's amazing how there was one of the ladies who was able to completely eliminate how much insulin she was having over a month, which, which ended up costing her about $1,000 a month or something crazy. Um, and so for her, being on a ketogenic diet is actually cheaper um, because she doesn't have to spend so much money on all this medication anymore. Um, and, and for a lot of people, those, those health um, risks and, and, and health benefits are just, you know, an investment in the food that you eat. So I like to end the podcast on uh, a few quick questions, uh, you know, and I guess this sometimes they're quick, but sometimes we like to dig deep in some of these things. Um, but uh, let's start off with the first one. So uh, do you have a favorite ketogenic food, something that you really, really enjoy? You know what I think my most favorite keto food is is so under, underrated is mayo. I love mayonnaise and I love making it myself at home or finding really clean versions that you can use. And 
I just think it's such an underrated condiment and yet it makes so many things so delicious and you can flavor it in all these different ways. You can add things to it. It's really my favorite thing and it becomes your best friend when you're doing keto and it's such a great way to get in healthy fats, especially if you get, you know, one that's based on avocado oil or you make it yourself at home or you find a really good source and you can add it to so many things and make it one of my favorite recipes from the 20 day challenge is my bacon carbonara. And it's just the zero carb noodles with mayonnaise and bacon and then some herbs like some basil. And I think there's a bit of garlic and onion powder in there and, you know, sea salt. And it is so delicious. And people always just go, I love, love, love this pasta recipe. And it's just so simple. And it's just, you know, with mayonnaise and it, you can, it's so versatile. You can do so many things with it. So it's just absolutely my all time favorite keto food. That's a really good idea. Switching out the dairy in creamy pastas for mayonnaise. Uh, yes. Such a great idea. That's, that's very, yes. very clever. <laughs> um, uh, and, and that's the hard thing when you eliminate dairy is like you, you try and add that creaminess back into things and, and sometimes it's hard, but I guess that emulsion between, uh, I guess the, the egg yolks and, and whatever type of oil you're using must, must be just that, that right amount of creaminess. Um, I, I've always yes, had- and if you add nutritional yeast too, ah. I mean, then it tastes like cheese pasta, you yep. know, and you're getting all those incredible B vitamins. I've always had this weird um, thing in the back of my mind on creating uh, emulsified MCT oil because you know how uh, MCT oil uh-huh. is really hard to mix through your coffee, but cream isn't? Yeah. I've always wondered if you could make some sort of like – I don't know if this, this would work. I'd, I'd have to try it out. But but like uh, emulsifying MCT oil with egg yolks and almost turning it into a, a mayonnaise per se, but it would just be a pretty neutral flavored mayonnaise that you can mix in with, with coffee to make a bulletproof coffee. I don't know whether that would work, but it's, <laughs> it sounds interesting. You got to try it. It just sounds like a fun thing to experiment with. And I bet if you did, have you ever done, you know, MCT oil with collagen or gelatin? Oh, no, I haven't tried that. I've always, you know, savored the collagen because uh, it's quite expensive here in Australia. So I'm like, I'm going to save that for when I really need it. (laughs) Yeah. So I get just, uh, there's a local store here where I just get basic gelatin and it comes in these sheets. It costs nothing. And I just add that to my coffee and sometimes with coconut oil and the gelatin makes it so frothy when you use, you know, an immersion blender. But I bet if you did that, you know, with MCT oil, it would probably, you could try that as well in your <laughs> experiment. I'll, I'll do an Instagram story and I'll tag you in it. But if, if, it, if nice. it's not good, I won't tag you in it. <laughs> I'll pour it down the sink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just pretend that one didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, so, you know, food aside, do you have a particularly favorite exercise? Is there something that you enjoy doing that, uh, that maybe, you know, gets your body moving in some shape or form? You know, I used to be such a crazy exerciser, especially with running. And I would run like an hour to sometimes two hours a day. And I, when I lived in Vancouver, I would run along the ocean. So it was really beautiful. And I one day realized I love running on this path, 
But what do I love more than anything is just walking on this path and listening to audiobooks. And I have to say, walking is my favorite activity. It's my favorite exercise, going for long walks and listening to podcasts. And also walking with my husband. So we also, you know, like they say, walking is hiking. Hiking is walking. Uh, hiking, sort of walking, you know, through cities. Like we've been doing so much travel this weekend. We went and walked through this old, beautiful town with a castle. And we were hiking pretty much because you're going up you know, tons and tons of stairs up into the tower. We did the same thing in Croatia, just walking in the old town. And if I'm not listening to a podcast of being in a beautiful environment, whether it's along a river or along the ocean and just walking, I think is one of the best things you can do for your body. It doesn't put a lot of stress on the body and yet you get so many great benefits from, you know, your cardiovascular system for lowering blood pressure and without having all that added stress from cortisol. So I would say walking is just, it's such a simple thing. And yet walking in nature, walking in the forest, forest bathing, walking in a beautiful city, listening to audiobooks, like it's just so beneficial. Uh, I don't think there's any exercise I love more. That's really awesome that you say you listen to audiobooks because I do the same thing. I don't, I don't actually read books that much. I, I, if they're not on Audible, I don't get them because <laughs> Audible is the best. Yeah, it's so good. And you're just, you're reading with your ears instead of your eyes. Yeah. It's just a different, using a different sense organ for them. But yeah, they're awesome. And even for people who drive a lot as well, um, audiobooks are just a lifesaver because you can't really like, uh, I could understand maybe if some people could multitask and walk and read, um, but maybe you might get a little bit walk sick. But, but it's a little bit hard to drive a car and read a book at the same time. So audiobooks are Yeah, not recommended. <laughs> yeah. So in contrast to your favorite food, what is your least favorite keto food? Oh, my gosh. I, I don't know if there is one. <laughs> um, that's a tough one. I think maybe bone broth – I think is probably my least favorite. And I think it's because I overdid it. Uh, when I started keto, we had a slow cooker and I was making bone broth all the time in our slow cooker. And it was just excessive. Like I, w I was joking, our <laughs> whole apartment smelled like bone broth and our cats yeah. were going crazy because it smelled like bone broth. And uh, it just, it was almost like too much. And I, I almost just got to the point where I, I don't really find it that appealing anymore. And I'm much preferring just using like gelatin or collagen, you know, instead of making the bone broth all the time. So I, I might like get into it again at some point, but I think it's just, yeah, I, I just overdid it. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, I'm always, uh, you know, I'm always fearful that when I've made bone broth that the house just smells of bone yes. broth. Yes. Because uh, you have to, you know, you it does. The and then you put them in the slow cooker and whatever right. and it's just like, yeah, especially being in an apartment, you, you can't really get rid of it that quickly. So no. I'm, I'm with you on that one. And uh, and I guess like what in contrast to your favorite exercise, what is something that you do not like to do um, as exercise? Uh, you know, maybe some people really say they are not a big fan of deadlifts or, you know, they're not a big fan of running or whatever it is. Is there something that maybe is is like that for you? Yeah, for me, it's really intense cardio. And I think it's just because 
it's been sold and marketed to us, especially women, that it's the best way to burn fat. And it's also, you know, I'm sure for men as well. And it isn't. It's the worst thing you can do to burn fat. It shuts down fat burning in the body. Like there is literally no exercise you could do that's worse for you if your goal is to optimize your body composition long term. And I'm not talking about marathon runners or anyone who does it professionally. They are way more educated on the topic than I am. But if your your goal is to burn fat, it's the last thing that you want to be doing. And it, it also sucks. Like, it's just not fun <laughs> to do, you know, and there must be something to that. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And like with the experience now of running a marathon, um, you know, I, 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 I just don't think there are many people who, who run marathons out there doing it in a low carb ketogenic state there's plenty of marathon runners who are, are doing it in a in a high carb state and i know uh, zach bitter does it to the point where you know he can be fat adapted enough to be able to you know top up with glycogen when he needs to but um, yes. yeah i mean like i i think i think being in in a low carb state it really puts a, a lot of stress on your adrenals and a whole bunch of other stuff so yeah i would probably have to agree with you so um do you have do you have uh, maybe an audiobook uh, or a video that has uh, recently inspired you or something that you go back to all the time? There's there's two main ones. The one most recently for me has been The Untethered Soul. I'm not sure if you've heard of that book, but it really had such a positive impact in my life. And the other one is The Power of Now. And they're both really about mindfully observing your thoughts. And I read The Power of Now when I was in university and it was the book that had the most significant impact on my life. I couldn't put it down from the moment I started reading it. You know, we have a very active, especially if you have an active mind, most of us do. And you don't realize how our thoughts affect our behavior because they drive our feelings and emotions and you can be aware you can start observing and monitoring what you're thinking and not only realize that not everything you think is true or real uh, sometimes we think thoughts that are really untrue and yet we believe them and we feel the emotions and feelings from them and a lot of times we self-sabotage without realizing so it's been awesome to reconnect with that again through the untethered soul. It's very similar to the power of now. It really makes you mindful and conscious. And, you know, we spend so much time figuring out our macros and what to eat every day. And we also spend so much time figuring out what to wear every day, but we don't choose our thoughts in the same way that we choose what to wear. And it is probably the most powerful thing is what you're, you know, dressing your mind with every day in terms of your thoughts and focus and meditation and yoga really helps cement that, you know, process and helps, you know, stretch that muscle of being mindful of what you're thinking, but it has had the biggest positive impact on my life is, uh, is really that book as of late. 
Mm, that's awesome. I, I really love hearing people's book recommendations because I generally uh, go and download it straight away. So, <laughs> the <laughs> nice. so awesome. the power of now. Uh, I'm going to go check that out. And if anyone else wants to check that out who's listening to the podcast, it'll all be in the show notes. Everything that we've discussed uh, will all be in the show notes. Um, and so I used to be a musician for a very long time. Uh, and oh, cool. uh, so I, I really like hearing people's music taste. Uh, and so is there any music that you've been listening to recently or in contrast, is there something that, uh, you know, that you've always loved and a certain genre that you go back to all the time or maybe even a playlist? My favorite music has always been reggaeton. Oh, no <laughs> I love <way. laughs> dancehall and reggaeton. Uh, I just love music that you can dance to and also like a lot of, Latin music, but my husband and I recently went to Tanzania in February. We had such a powerful experience while we were there. So we've been playing a lot of African music lately and it has like some reggaeton kind of vibes to it, but it also has a lot of just like really good beats and like it reminds me of when I was really into DJ Alban and probably no one knows who that is, but it's like an African dance hall artist and I just love that Caribbean carefree music there's a lot of positive positivity in it a lot of really good values expressed in it and it's all about just like making the most of life being happy enjoying life and you know not kind of focusing so much on what's going wrong but on how you want your life to be how you want to design your life to be and you know positivity so I really like that kind of music. Oh, that's so awesome that you say that because I'm a huge fan of reggae and I guess reggae awesome. and reggaeton are similar, but yes. um, it, it, like we're very close to New Zealand and there it has, they just have some amazing bands come out of New Zealand. Uh, Do the, is it know, Maori? Maori, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Maori culture, yeah. I, like, I mean, you know, there's there's the Maori culture and, and then everything in between, um, but uh, the people like Fat Freddy's Drop and the Black Seeds and all of those types of uh, artists are just, yeah, fantastic. And DJ Alban, yeah. <laughs> I do know who that is. That's awesome. Oh, Where awesome. Uh, that's that's so good. I'm, I'm going to go play some of that when this podcast is finished because that's awesome. Um, awesome. And so uh, I usually like to end the podcast, you know, <laughs> we've been sort of ending the podcast with these quick questions, but uh, with with uh, a recipe. So um, I don't know whether you alluded to it before, um, and if it's the same one, but is there a recipe that maybe someone can take away from this podcast? And then uh, do you have any advice for people out there who, you know, might be trying keto for the first time and are struggling with their weight? And, and what advice would you give them? And maybe what advice would, you, would, would help them point in the right direction? Yeah, I can answer that kind of with the same answer, which is, um, you know, my favorite recipe, if you are going to cut out dairy, it's really one of the best ways to break a stall or see results if you haven't been. And don't worry so much about using high fat dairy to hit really high numbers of fat. You don't have to be hitting tons and tons of grams of fat in order to be in nutritional ketosis. You just have to control carbohydrates and to some extent moderate protein. But if you cut out dairy, you can still, you know, get into nutritional ketosis. And one of the best ways of doing it is, you know, replacing the dairy, like I said, in my favorite recipe, bacon carbonara with zero carb noodles and mayonnaise with some garlic, fresh herbs 
in their spices and I like to put bacon in it or you can put salmon or your favorite protein in it as well, you know, even chicken. Basically, it's such a versatile dish, but you just replace the dairy with mayonnaise or if you really like that cheesy flavor, add a tablespoon or two of nutritional yeast to it. It gives it this nutty, cheesy flavor and you feel like you're eating full dairy pasta noodles without any of the dairy. So it's great to just have a, you know, a replacement for that. If you're eliminating dairy, you know, life doesn't have to have zero pleasure in it. (laughs) And, you know, it can be something that you also do temporarily. I like to enjoy dairy as a part of my lifestyle, but I also have to cut it out for periods sometimes. So, you know, it's something that you can play with and, you know, try cutting out the dairy and see if you get results and test yourself. Also, if you are into that, if you like testing yourself and learning about your body, it's the best way that you can learn about your body. That's such great advice. And uh, if you are confused on how to test yourself, maybe go back to about the middle of the podcast where we discuss what time uh, that, you know, what is the best time to do that. But you've probably listened to that if you've got to the right of the end of the podcast. Um, so, so Vanessa, where can people find you? Where can people get in contact? And maybe where can people, uh, you know, look for the 28-Day Ketogenic Girl Challenge and maybe look for some of your cookbooks as well or anything else that you've got going? Absolutely, Erin. So my most active social media is my Instagram, which is Ketogenic Girl. And if you want to send me any kind of message, the best way to do it is through the Facebook page, which is it's The Ketogenic Girl. And I'm always on Facebook because that's where our 20-day challenge group is. And so I'm on there all day supporting and coaching and providing feedback. So if you want to reach me, that's the fastest way to do it. I'm not checking messages and other things as actively. I'm not as good with it as I am on Facebook. And if you don't have Facebook, you can always just comment on a post on Instagram if you have a question. And I try to get to all the comments as often as I can. Uh, it's what I love doing. And I consider it a you know privilege to be able to you know, share the information that I can, that I've learned through all my mistakes that I made in keto. So that's, um, you know, some of the most active places. And the 20 day challenge is available at ketogenicgirl.com. You can check it out uh, on the website there. That's awesome. And what I want you to do right now is pause this podcast, go and subscribe to Fast Keto. You should be able to find it by typing it into your favorite podcast um, service. Type in Fast Keto. Vanessa's podcast should come straight up and subscribe to it for us um, and go ahead and listen to all the the, the podcast in there as well because it, uh, oh, uh, it, it, so it's been such an honor to to interview you because, um, you know, uh, I was, uh, to, to be honest, I was nervous uh, <laughs> starting this podcast because it is always, ne- uh, it, it's a little bit nerve-wracking uh, going into a podcast with someone else who is, is so experienced and and uh, and you've you've had a lot of experience with the ketogenic diet and uh, you know um, talking to people and 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 running all of this yourself. So um, I just wanted to say thank you and thank you for taking the time out. Um, I really appreciate it and I really appreciate the the knowledge that you have and I'm sure everyone who's been listening has also appreciated that as well. Awesome. Well, you're so great at interviewing and asked some really great questions and was really fun to be here and chat with you. So thanks so much for having me on. No worries. Thank you very much, Vanessa.
Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this podcast, make sure you hit subscribe to be notified next week when the podcast arrives. If you could do one small act of kindness for today, I would greatly appreciate a review from you. It's really easy and it allows me to keep making podcasts just like this one every week just for you. Head on over to fatforweightloss.com.au forward slash podcasts for the latest updates and all the show notes. Until next week. Thank you.